are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Okay, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. You guys look bundled up in autumn. Looks beautiful. Um, I had a ton of teenagers at my house last night because my second born, we've been celebrating her. She turned 14 this week. Ava, she's uh, everything wonderful. And I told somebody, I'm a teen mom, but then I had to correct myself because I'm not a teenager that's pregnant. I'm a mom of teenagers, and uh, it's the delight of my life figuring out how to be a mom of teenagers. And, you know, I have, we, we, we co-labored on this one, right, baby? We're a team. We have four girls, and um, uh, the, I have so many hats that I get to wear on the earth, so many beautiful assignments that I feel Jesus has handed me. And being a mom is the manifestation of the sweetest part of my destiny. And I remember uh, our first two babies were a surprise. So Kylie and Ava were a surprise. And this week, Ava was like, Mom, I was just ready. I'm like, you were right, babe. You were just ready. I was not. And I remember I I took like 45 pregnancy tests uh, with Kylie. And I just remember processing with the Lord like, I am not ready for this. And, uh, And it was like the conversations with the Lord basically were like, uh, hey, baby, if we wait for your fear to be ready, we're going to be here all the good long day. Like, <laughs> and when we allow our fear to be making our decisions about how much of our identity and our destiny we're going to stand up into and possess, it will never be a good time. And I just remember the Lord giving me the promise. It's not by power. It's not by might but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And that uh, one of our greatest gifts in life is the Lord handing us things we don't feel adequate to do. (laughs) Because he's calling us higher into the reality of our identity that we are unaware of. We are unaware of his, I believe in you. And so much of the gospel is so offensive because he believes in you. And so often we're wanting him to do it for us on our timetable when we feel good. And he's like, I feel good about you right now. You're like, have you looked at this? I do not feel good about this. I feel great about this. So... I did not feel adequate to mother daughters. And I remember by the time I had my fourth baby and the, the, the sonogram lady said, it's a girl. 
my eyes filled with tears because I could not believe he was trusting me again, that he believed I could mother daughters. And, uh, you know, so much of, we're, we're going to dive into the, to the word this morning. And I was telling our students, our ministry school students, if you're a ministry school student this year, raise your hand. Let us just look at you. Oh. Bethel Atlanta, these, you, you are the setting of um, gold, the setting of silver for apples of gold that you are our family who causes beautiful things to grow. So these students benefit so fully from getting to be a part of, of our family. Um, but, the, but I was telling them this week, the Bible is central uh, to all of our learning in the kingdom. That, uh, and especially in a ministry school setting, the Bible is central to our learning, to our development. But we do not, um, you know, the, the relationship we have with the word of God is not manifested most in how much of it we have memorized, you know? You remember Awanas and all those uh, marks and rewards we got for memorization? <laughs> Like, that's not a thing in adult life. <laughs> like, what, what, like uh, the fruitfulness of you digesting the word of God is not getting a sticker because you memorize the most verses. It's not how much we can articulate. And it's not in how much we can teach others. It's not in how much we understand. It's in how much of the word of God have I become? Where are the verses that have your blood, sweat, and tears integrated inside of them? Where, where are the promises? Not that just we quote and declare, but I have paid a price to become this promise. What, what are the promises right now that you are paying a price to become? that you are laying your life down on the altar and everything that defies that promise, feeling true, looking true, logically looking true, that we are laying our lives down on the altar to be a letter the world could read. That I have actually become this promise. I embody it. And a fruitful relationship with the word of God is come, come and look in my heart and you can read his promise. Come look at my life. I've become this promise. Which promises right now are guiding your life? Are what you keep returning to over and over until you become it? This is what it, it means to have a culture that values the word of God. Not, not that uh, we put verses up on our walls, but that we've written them in our heart. And I have become one with the giver of this promise. So, you know, that a couple of weeks ago, Steve spoke that message on inheritance. Was everybody here for that? That had a profound impact on me. I'm still meditating on it two weeks later. And, uh, you know, ev everything we inherit, uh, we discover through the Bible. And, you know, in the Old Testament, 
the Lord told Moses, uh, hey, as, no, told Joshua, as I've been with Moses, I will be with you. And so he was telling Joshua, hey, everything you saw me walk with Moses, talk with Moses, everything I showed you about what it looks like to be a friend of God in Moses, expect that as your inheritance. This is your visual aid. My relationship with Moses is your visual aid of what you can expect with me. And in the new covenant, Jesus is our visual aid of what we can expect in a relationship with the Father. Jesus is our standard of inheritance. What it means to put a demand on our inheritance in the kingdom means we put a demand on everything Jesus paid for. And so Jesus came trumpeting, look at how one I am with the Father. Look at the way I love the Father and the Father loves me. Look at the way I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. This is what you can expect in your relationship with the Father. You are going to do greater miracles than even I am doing. Let my life be a visual aid for your inheritance. I love you with the same love that the Father loves me. And so as I've just been meditating on Jesus and our inheritance and what it looks like to walk in the fullness of our inheritance is what Jesus looks like. And I felt like the Lord told me, you know, every limit you experience in your inheritance is just a false belief. It's a false belief about me and it's a false belief about my feelings about you. Right now, every place your life does not look like Jesus. Every place we are not walking in the fullness of who he says we are is because you're believing a lie. I'm believing a lie. We have been given every spiritual gift in heavenly places right now. And the only thing separating us and our access to that fullness is our false beliefs about who he is and our false beliefs about how he sees us. So when we come to the word of God, we're coming to have our false beliefs healed. We're coming to have truth nourished inside of us so that we can stand up with our shoulders back, lift up our head and let the King of glory come in. That our access to this King has already been made, made full. Payment is full. And nothing, nothing about your access to the Father to Jesus and to the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, this morning, right where you are, will ever grow. No matter how much of this you read, you will not gain more access. No matter how many days you fast and pray, you will not gain more access. Nothing, 
you could ever do will give you more access. I remember the Bible loses its joy when we read it to get closer to God. We do not come to the Bible to get closer to God. I remember for so long, my relationship with the Bible was about getting closer to God. And I thought, I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read 50 chapters. I'm not even gonna get up until I've read 50 chapters because this is what hunger for God looks like. And so I went out on a cliff overlooking a gorgeous ocean. And I sat there on a rock and I read 50 chapters of Job. (laughs) And I got up from that rock and I guarantee you I was 0% closer to God. (laughs) The outrageously good news of the gospel is Jesus alone made you close to the Father. People that don't even have a relationship with Jesus know more about this book than I do. It can't get you closer to God. It can't get you more access to the Father. We read the Bible. We value the Bible. We study the Bible. We memorize the words because we have a relationship with God because we've been brought close to the Father. And I want every word he's spoken to be written on my heart. I wanna become one with his words. What grows as we read the Bible, as we spend time fasting and praying, as we spend time prioritizing our relationship, our intimacy, What grows is our awareness of what Jesus has purchased. And we grow up into our maturity when we take full responsibility for our relationship with God. That the mature sons and daughters of God are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, from birth, I have had a relationship with my girls. But as they grow, as they mature, our intimacy changes because of how much of my heart they can digest. Listen, I wasn't having a cup of coffee with them when they were two. I was just trying to keep them alive and give out a lot of snacks. As they grow, as they mature, as they're able to interact and look at me face to face, they can see more of my heart, but they've never had more access to me. They've never had less access to me. I've been fully theirs. You are growing up into your maturity with the Father, but you will never earn more access to be closer to Him. You could try it, go read 50 chapters of Job. You're not gonna feel good after. This morning, you've never been closer to the Father. 
in five years from now when some of your prophetic words have manifested and uh, some, of, some of who you've called, some more of who you've been called to be on the earth is manifesting in its fullness, you will not be closer to God. If you yelled at your kids this morning, you were not further away from God. The blood of Jesus was the only thing that was enough to bring us to the lap of the Father. How much of a demand are we putting on that inheritance? How much of a demand are we putting on what Jesus freely gave us? Fill up all of your space today. Be ridiculous with your space. So we're going to open our Bibles and we're just going to, we're going to come to the Bible this morning. So our awareness of who he is and what he's given us can grow. Okay. So if you want to open to Luke chapter 19, we're going to start in verse one. Luke 19, verse one. In the city of Jericho, there lived a very wealthy man named Zacchaeus, who was the supervisor over all the tax collectors. As Jesus made his way through the city, Zacchaeus was eager to see Jesus. He kept trying to get a good look at him, but the crowd around Jesus was massive And Zacchaeus was a very short man and couldn't see over the heads of the people. Let's just take a small pause because I just really wanted to make a public apology to Zacchaeus, okay? (laughs) Because for most of us, if we've grown up in the church, when I said Zacchaeus, we all started singing a little song. He was a wee little man And I apologize, we not only said it once, but then we said it again. And a wee little man was he. There is no man that has ever lived in all of human history that wants to be called wee and little in any context. And I I feel shame. I feel literal shame that it's fine if it was a little verse in the song, but we repeat it over and over and over. He is literally in the cloud of witnesses. Are you serious? This is, this is what they keep singing about me. I'm a we. Just the word alone, we with two E's is wrong. It's wrong in the context of all masculinity. And I apologize. So what I need for us to do is we come to the Bible is we got to renew our mind because this was a real man. This is not just a cute jingle. This was a real man who really lived And that's dishonoring. (laughs) This is dishonoring. We're the people of God. We can do better. We can do better. 
<laughs> like, just if we would just change this song alone, how many more unbelievers would rush to tell their whole story? You know, like the whole point of the passage we're gonna see was healing shame. And we keep singing shameful songs about this wee little man over and over and over. So he was a very short man. I mean, it's true, but we didn't need to turn it into a song. And uh, he couldn't see over the heads of the people. So he ran on ahead of everyone and climbed up a blossoming fig tree. When you look at the literal language, it was a, a blossoming sycamore fig, a sycamore fig tree, which was a massive tree. So he could get a glimpse of Jesus as he passed by. And you know, it's an echo um, from our, our Old Testament history because Moses uh, asked to see the face of God. And what did God tell him? If you see my face, you'll die. But you go up there, hide in that rock, and I will let my goodness pass before you. And basically, you could see my butt. <laughs> and there's enough glory in the Lord where even that was magnificent. Like, wow. <laughs> and so... There's flashes of lights. It's like uh, sometimes this encounter we can look back to with Moses and hold in our heart like, oh, I want an encounter with God like that. And what we have to realize is the watermark for Zacchaeus, because he could not get to Jesus on his own, was I just want to watch him pass by. I just, want, I just want to see what this man that's causing all of this commotion, I just want to get a look at him. And so he climbed up into a fig tree, which is also an echo of our history, of the big story God is telling. That this is where the people of God hid, was behind fig, fig leaves. And Jesus, when we look at the Gospels, was constantly calling sinners out of their shame. He was a friend of sinners. And this is wildly offensive because Zacchaeus wasn't just a tax collector. He, he was the boss of tax collectors. And when you look at the, com at the commentaries on the cultural relevance of what this me meant, that Zacchaeus was the supervisor over tax collectors, was ta rich tax collectors were hated because they abused people, they used people, they stole from people to gain their wealth. So people didn't hate them because they were wealthy. They hated them because of the way they became wealthy. So their wealth was a sign that they had been taking from people. And so Zacchaeus uh, was in charge of the people that were taking from people. So he had layers of injustice happening 
inside of his life. Like we have to imagine uh, the people that were trapped, powerless, feeling the weight of their poverty to be able to take care of their families in the very basics of putting food on the table. They, tax collectors were stealing from those people. Like this affected the quality of their life deeply. Like, it's not like they were stealing from the wealthy and nobody really noticed. Anybody stealing from anybody you notice. This, this had very tangible, practical ramifications for the way people were able to provide for their families. And so, um, you know, when we, when we look at Zacchaeus going up into this fig tree, his only hope was to see Jesus. And listen, hiding in our shame to get a look at Jesus will never heal us. And when we, you know, all of us have choices to come to services in our fig tree, to come to our times with Jesus in our fig tree that we can try to have the goal of the old covenant in our heart. I just wanna look at him. I just wanna see him. But transformation didn't happen for Zacchaeus hiding up in a fig tree, just trying to get a look at Jesus. Look at what happened. When Jesus got to that place, he looked up into the tree and said, Zacchaeus, hurry on down for I'm appointed to stay at your house today. So he scurried down the tree and came face to face with Jesus. What Moses was never able to experience, Zacchaeus just got called out of a tree as a sinner harming humanity to stand face to face with God. As Jesus left to go with Zacchaeus, many in the crowd complained, look at this, all of the people to have dinner with, he's going to eat in the house of a crook. And, and you know, they weren't wrong. He was a crook, he was a thief. And uh, we don't see Jesus correcting them. And all through the gospels, when we look at Jesus um, and people are throwing stones of judgment, it's not that they're not accurate. This was an accurate judgment. And you know, we can have an understanding of why this would be so astonishing because was Jesus agreeing with the way that he was treating people by going to have a meal and to stay in, in this house with this man? Where was the justice of Jesus? And Zacchaeus joyously welcomed Jesus and was amazed over his gracious visit to his home. 
So, um, you know, it's amazing that Zacchaeus is so happy to have Jesus come into his home and to eat a meal with him. And there's a verse in the Psalms that I love that says, those who look to him are never covered in shame. And that there was something about the nature of Jesus that Zacchaeus was able to welcome Jesus with joy. When everyone around Zacchaeus was calling him a crook, he, he was able to welcome Jesus with joy. And, you know, it's, it's, it's astonishing to me, if we could just pause for a second and be astonished by Jesus, that none of, none of the opinions about anybody on the earth defines Jesus's opinion about you. None of your life choices defines Jesus's opinion about you. Jesus is not moved by the opinions of people. And he was appointed to stay at the house of Zacchaeus. Who was giving him his appointments? The father. I only do what I hear the, I only do what I see the father doing. I only say what I hear the father saying. He was appointed by the father to go stay at Zacchaeus's house. He found Zacchaeus worthy of his presence. And you know, the crazy thing is, is that um, Jesus went into the house that uh, who, who paid for the house Jesus stayed in? How, who, the plates Jesus ate off of, how did Zacchaeus get those? The, the luxury in the food that he was eating, who paid the price for everything Zacchaeus had? And you know, when the Bible says, uh, he, he sets a table for me in the presence of my enemies, what we have to realize sometimes is we are the enemy. And I am my own worst enemy. Sometimes I am the most toxic person I have a relationship with. <laughs> and Jesus comes in to the middle of your toxic life cycles and says, I wanna dine with you here. I wanna, I wanna sit with you in the presence of everything you stole and you treated humanity without dignity to get these things. I'm coming to sit with you at that table. And sometimes we think about our life with Jesus and we think I have to get my act together. I have to fix these places in my heart that are hiding under shame so I can have intimacy with Jesus. And the way of Jesus is let me into those places so I can be the answer to those places, so I can heal those places. Let me come and see you 
in your deficits, in your sin, in your shame. And, you know, we don't get our act together so we can have more of Jesus. We receive Jesus to have more of Jesus. We are healed by the presence of Jesus. We are not healed so we can get to Jesus. And, you know, the, the beautiful thing is, as the story goes on, is that he has stood in front of the Lord and said, half of all that I own, will, I will give to the poor. And Lord, if I have cheated anyone, I promise to pay back four times as much as I stole. And Jesus said to him, this shows that today life has come to you in your household for you are a true son of Abraham. The son of man has come to seek out and to give life to those who are lost. So Jesus is manifesting his nature as being full of grace and of truth. And when he, he sat in the middle of Zacchaeus's truth and the grace of Jesus can only go as deep as the truth that you show him. When you say, come and sit at the table I stole, Come and sleep at the bed of my poor choices. Come, this, this is what uh, Psalm says, come examine my heart, search it. Look all over, come into all the doors I have, sh I have shut. Let truth come and, and investigate me. The purity of Jesus that did not move the line to have relationship with Zacchaeus. He, he, he is grace and he is truth. And Zacchaeus exposing the reality of his life, the reality of where he was and making a face-to-face -face connection with Jesus. That we are not transformed when we look at Jesus from our shame. We are transformed when we let Jesus look at us in our shame. And an inner transformation happens because grace and truth just filled up my soul. And it wasn't um, a five-step behavior modification plan that Jesus handed Zacchaeus. It was a metamorphosis. It was a transformation he saw in the face of Jesus, I am not who I thought I was. I thought I was a thief. I thought the only way for me to have influence and power and stature on the earth was to take from humanity. And he saw in the face of Jesus, I am not who I thought I was. I'm a giver. I'm here to give to humanity. I'm here to contribute. And the true mark of our awareness of our inheritance is not how much we can accumulate. It's how much can I afford to give away? That the fullness of our identity manifests on the earth in how much I can afford to give away. 
I can afford, I have enough grace for that. Uh, everyone in the crowd had enough to call Zacchaeus a crook. Jesus had enough mercy and truth and love to go to his house, to show him through experience who he truly was. And this is where the justice of Jesus rolls down out of heaven onto the earth is imagine being uh, the family who has just been scraping to get by, knowing this tax collector is profiting off of your poverty. And imagine the moment you get a knock on the door. And it is Zacchaeus not coming to take. He is now a force of Jesus on the earth. He's coming with a new message. I'm here not just to make it right. I'm here to pay back four times what I stole. This is true justice in the earth, not just making things right four times as much as what I gave away, as what I stole. And so our interactions, the way that we see and treat people creates a, a movement on the earth that cannot be measured. You know, how, how many people's deficit, how many people did he steal from as the supervisor of, of, of the tax collectors that he intentionally went and made it right? How many people was Jesus holding in his heart when he was holding Zacchaeus in his heart? So let's just go ahead and stand up. Jesus came looking for you. And sometimes we can think that my, the, the emphasis in my relationship with Jesus is how intensely I can look for him. But the gospel is the good news that Jesus came looking for you. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And this morning, the greatest thing you can do with your faith is believe he's looking at you. Believe it's this personal, that the most Zacchaeus thought he could get was a glimpse of Jesus passing by and he discovered Jesus knew his name. Jesus was looking for him. So this morning, Jesus, we're looking at you. We're face to face with you. And we say, search us, see us, know us. Let every part of who we are be transformed into your likeness, not from discipline, not from trying hard, 
but because we become the person you see when you look at us. Let us fill up all of our space in the way that you see us. And let us be a force on the earth that releases inheritance everywhere we go, that we have enough. I can afford mercy here. I can afford grace here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.